Take your Bibles and turn to Titus, and let's look in chapter 2. We're back in this little passage of Scripture, verses 11 through 14, and we're going to be kind of zeroing in this morning on the little phrase there, talking about God's grace appearing, instructing us, and communicating to us. Let's ask God's blessing on this time as we open his precious word and, and ask him to have a free will, free reign in our hearts and lives in this text. Dear Father, we stand before you as needy people. We're your people, and uh, we are those who profess your to follow you, to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I pray that you will be working in our hearts to more fully bring that into realization in our lives and help us more fully embrace the Lord as our Lord and Savior and to follow him. Help us to know more as we are talking about your deliverance in our lives from the penalty of sin and as we move in today to talk about your deliverance in our lives from the very power of sin itself. Help us to profit from this, and we pray that you would be honored in the things that we look at and that we study, that your spirit would have free reign in our lives. Pray for me that I won't get in the way and ruin what you have to say to us. And I ask your blessing upon this time. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. In the text that we're looking at in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the little kind of the prefix before that is a little statement that was made concerning the bond slaves and things like that in their lives as being biblical, that in their lives, things like that, their life would adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. We sort of launched off of that little phrase. The word adorned means to kind of set up in a place of focus in other words, our lives should focus on exalting and setting apart and putting in a position of appreciation and majesty our God and Savior, and it should set him apart, that it shouldn't be drawing attention so much to us as to cause others to be amazed with him. And that's uh, what his grace, and that's why it's called his grace, does is his grace, which is his salvation, has appeared and has brought here the deliverance, as we looked at last time, from the very penalty of our sin. He's come to pay for our sin and to deliver us from that. And now we come to the second point, and that's deliverance from the power of sin. Uh, verse 12 starts out, well, let's, let's look at verse 11. In fact, let's read the whole text, verse 11 down to 14. Titus is to read, Paul writing to Titus says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds or good works. He says that God's grace, and remember that the grace is a term that describes God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's open hand of giving, and that is a term that is used synonymously with the coming of Christ and the salvation that he has provided, the deliverance that he has provided. And it says that that grace has manifested or appeared. That word appeared has the idea of coming suddenly. And so that something all of a sudden the light has come on and God's grace, God's mercy, God's provision for man's sin has now appeared, bringing deliverance to us from the penalty of our sin. And he says it's to all men. What he means by that is to all mankind. We know from enough from the gospel and the sharing of the gospel in the New Testament that not everybody is going to be saved, but that those that have received his message, those that God has sent his sovereign grace to bring to himself will come. And he is working uh, in these hearts and these lives. And so this is the manifestation, if you will, of the salvation that comes, the deliverance that comes to deliver us from the penalty of sin. But then secondly, verse 12 starts out or continues on instructing us, this, this appearing, this salvation instructs us uh, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That idea of instructing us, I think, is a, it's a very, very important term that's used in the text, and I think it's a good term for us to kind of understand a little bit about what is being said there when he talks about this instruction that is part of the salvation that God wants to bring. The word there that's translated instruction there doesn't just mean teaching. It can mean teaching, but it can also mean discipling, uh, nurturing us, bringing us more and more uh, in line with his will and his purpose and his plan for us. And uh, it, is, it is part of the salvation that uh, God wants to bring in our hearts and bring in our lives. It is part of his will that that salvation come with a, a type of discipling, a type of teaching, a type of influence that affects our lives, a type of training, a type of nurturing, a type of education that affects our lives when we come to Christ. Now, I was thinking about that. I'm trying to think of it in terms of how we relate. All of us in our lives judge, formulate, direct our lives according to some purpose or information or intention in our lives. We live and we live many times for our self-centered indulgence, our self-centered happiness, uh, what we term to be valuable kind of sets maybe the bar that we focus on. Uh, you can ask yourself, why are you here? What do you desire to accomplish with your life? What is the reason for your life? Some of us, our lives are simply live from one paycheck to another. We just desire to enjoy making money and, and surviving to the next paycheck. Others perhaps may be living uh, to see movies. I talked to a guy the other day that really liked Star Wars, and that was a 
really an obsession with him and he had a shirt over talking about Star Wars and he was talking about that that's kind of something that he's been doing and he was an older gentleman but he's been doing it for years and years and years and stuff and so we talked about that a little bit but what is the focus what is the motivation what's the reason why you're here and what is your your instruction what is your intention what do you desire out of life i think i shared with you in fact i know i did a situation with my father uh, who was raised uh, originally in a wealthy family in Rocky Mount, and his dad died, and his mother remarried. We called her Big Mama, and she remarried to a guy that was abusive and also was very wasteful. Uh, I told you the story of all the keys. She had keys to almost every business in Rocky Mount, or at least a lot of them, and uh, she loved, I think I told you about that, the keys down in, in Atlanta on a train yeah and she she called down there and they said yes miss williams we found those keys but we're not going to send them to you you're going to have to come out here and get them because we don't think a woman has any business with that many keys so they actually made her go down there and get them but uh, the point i'm trying to make is that uh, because of the abusiveness of her second husband and he was wasteful he he gambled a lot and, and just lose she lost almost a, a lot through him but she to spare my father of this influence and of his abusiveness, she sent him to Rock to Warrington, North Carolina, to live with another family. And the man there, one of the, the men there, he was a Jones, not a Peter Jones, he was a Jones as well. And he had a lot of influence, uh, both in local and state government. He was somebody that dad looked up to. And he would usually have a glass of wine with his meal. And he had, a, I guess it was a shrunk or I don't know, a place where he, like a bar where he kept bottles of liquor and stuff that uh, and every evening he would go into the den he would sit down and take a i don't know i don't know but he, my father looked up to him and he wanted to be like him and so he used to sneak in there and get a drink and drink it uh and just to make him feel like that he was big stuff when i was a kid i did the same thing with smoking i used to smoke or smoke but my first cigarette was a chesterfield and i would smoke and I would think I would mix up like looking myself in the mirror and just, it, you know, it's kind of stupid. It really is. But you, you set your goals on something that you think is important and uh, it, it kind of affects your life. But here is my dad and did that and his drinking, um, as he got older, he would drink with a meal and stuff like that. And then sometimes he would drink uh, just to have a headache or feel bad. Got to the place where he would drink all the time and it got to be, People would notice it, and so he would start doing it in secret and uh, drink secretly. And uh, it, it, this, you were talking about these things about sin taking you further than you want to go and costing you what you're willing to pay and leaving you where you don't want to be, and so on and so forth. That's the way sin is. It deceives you when it's, a, when it's attractive. Uh, the days of wine and roses when you're young and you have your life in front of you and everything, and it seems nice to be able to do some things and invest in some things. But you don't realize that these things will deceive and you want to set your life according to some wisdom that's higher than just having fun you see what i'm saying uh, you want to set your goals on a, on something that is bigger than just trying to imitate somebody that's popular in the world standard i'm talking with a guy at work uh, which is his name he's a very wealthy guy he's uh, in fact i was uh, 
I sent some stuff to Pete and them about Rotenberg. I was talking to him about Rotenberg, which is a town in Germany on the Romantic Strasse, going to Augsburg down to Fusen. It's one of the most wonderful, it's an ancient city that's just hasn't changed much, has this original wall around it. We, in fact, I've walked to quite a ways around the city, not even leaving the wall that surrounds the city. There's little gates that come into the city. You can drive into the gates to the city, but there's only room for one car. It's not big enough for two cars to go through the gate. And a lot of buildings, a lot of stained glass and lead windows. And uh, we were in one of the restaurants that uh, it, it was over there playing. We got a, a bottle of wine, and he had to go way down the two or three cellars below to get the wine out of the wine cellar down there. And it's, it's just very interesting to to look at this history and stuff. And I'm telling this guy, we're looking at it and I sent him a video and other stuff and he was very enthralled and he's, he wants to go and to visit and do this. And so I was trying to I send him an information about the fact that if you said people have a lot of money and can money becomes a security. And that's, that's where you put your focus. That's where you put your security. If you have the money, then you feel secure. Although the more you have, the more insecure sometimes you feel. Because then you got to protect that money and watch it from taxes and so on and so forth. Uh, but we put our security in the money, what we have, and uh, that's where we get our security. And so if you set your goals on those things, people with money end up uh, wasting their lives on alcohol, wasting their lives on drugs. They overdose on drugs. They are, they, they wear their lives out seeking to live in fast lane. You know what I'm talking about. It's just very, it's not uncommon. It happens. And what I'm saying is this, that when you set your goals on things other than on Christ and his purpose for you, you're putting it on something that's going to pass away, something that's going to cave in, something that's a waste. And when you're young, and you have everything before you, you don't see it. Hopefully, if you listen to wisdom, if you get into the word and you read the word, you can see that there is wisdom found there important. Uh, and so I want to talk to you about that just very, very briefly. So if you have your Bibles, let me see. I want to turn over to, uh, let's see, the Gospel of John. Uh, you can look at, you know where John 3.16 is, so we can start with John 3.16. We've been studying uh, really a good um, book, the Gospel of John. By the way, I don't know if this is the right time to say it, but while I'm gone, I've asked Pete if he would take the morning service and continue his study in John in the morning service and doing the Sunday school. Maybe we can finish up those John MacArthur DVDs on Isaiah. And we're going to back up. I'm going to ask you to back up to. So the first one, I mean, to number five, because some of you missed it, five and six, and going through it's really good. But in John's gospel, and I just say that because Pete's been doing a masterful job, and I think of the gospel of John, I appreciate it very much. Uh, John 3.16 starts out, for God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born or only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life and here is this this you know it well i i have a new testament in my study that was given to me by my grandmother when i was a kid and her heart was really burdened for us grandkids grandkids and she wrote down uh, this is to to me from grandmother with bestest love and she wrote down john 3 16 and then she turned over to the passage she underlined the passage in my new testament my the new testament i had had my name, Peter 
I think it was Peter Jones III. It could have been Peter D. Jones III, but it was inscribed in gold lettering on the front, which means that she went to a lot of trouble to pick the New Testament out. And back then, and that was uh, easily 50 years ago, uh, that was, it probably was a little bit more difficult to get the Bibles inscribed. I don't know, but I imagine it was. Anyway, it, she went through a lot of effort to have that printed up and, and bought and to me. And that's just because this was important to her. And it was something you want to give. And you, you want to do that. I was talking to, to Brian. Uh, he, he was talking about Everett's birthday, which I'm not probably not going to be able to go to. But I was trying to get an idea of what to get him. And I asked him about a, a, a picture Bible that he could use. And the reason I'm doing it is because this, the kids are younger. You want to get something that you can use to direct their hearts to things that matter. You know, it's just really, really important. I think he said he, they had one already. So, but the, the point is that you want to do what you can to direct your life to things that really matter. And that's what he's saying here that, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world uh, to judge the world. That is to, he didn't send his son, you could say he didn't send his son to the world to bring the world to trial or to make the final judicial system about the world. That's coming, but he did send his son into the world at this point to bring us before trial. He is the one that will be judging, but he didn't come to judge at this time. He didn't come to bring us to trial. He didn't come to sit up and point out uh, where we are, are going to hell, but rather, um, but rather that the world might be saved or delivered through him. So he sent his son. This is what John is saying. I'm reading from John chapter 3. He who believes in him, that means continuously believes in him, is not brought to trial, is not brought under condemnation. But he who does not believe, does not continually embrace, does not continually judge him or continually believe in him, has been brought to trial already. Now this is talking about living and this is talking about people. And if your life if you have rejected him, if you turned your back on him, verse 36 says you're already under the wrath of God. This is a pretty serious thing. And so he says he has not believed, has been judged or brought to trial already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the uniquely born or the only begotten son of God. So then he explains this and just very quickly, verse 19. And this is the trial. This is the evaluation. This is the judgment, if you will, um, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Now, what's the light? It's the coming of Christ. It, it's the, what Isaiah said, the people that sit in darkness have seen a great light. And he's talking about the people, the Gentiles up in the area of Dan and Naphtali in that area around Galilee, that they have Jesus went up there and ministered. And talking, and in fact, it is fulfilled in the gospel where Jesus was up there. And he said it's in fulfillment of this, that they have seen this great light. This is the light. This is the coming of Christ. He came as light. What does light do? Big part? It reveals. It uncovers. It opens up. It helps us to see more clearly. Uh, in, the book of, in the book of Genesis, interestingly to me, light was created before the stars and stuff like that, that before you have the sun and the moon, which gives light, you have light established. And uh, I've often thought about that. And I think that what 
Genesis is saying is that when God was creating the heavens and the earth, he established all of the laws and the rules and the principles of physics and chemistry and science and so on and so forth for this present world. And part of those laws were, was the issue of light, which outside of this created world in God's domain, the eternal domain, light's not an issue because there's no, there's, this is an issue in this created realm where we have light and then he designed light to be separate from the darkness and he designed it so that light, you put a light on it, it dispels the darkness. And so this is part of the, the order of this world and here is a picture of light coming into the world, uh, and men have loved their darkness. Then men have loved to stay in the shadows rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. So he's talking about uh, the actions of those in the world when the light came. They pursued the darkness rather than light because their deeds. That word deeds is the same word that's translated works. Their works are evil. It's the same word that's translated in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, when it says, By grace you are saved through faith, that not only yourselves is a gift of God out of works, lest any man should boast. The next verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we walk in him. God has as in the process of saving us, not by our works, but by his grace and his mercy and his choice, has saved us for good works, not works of the flesh, but good works in spite of, in, in spite of our works, he has saved us for good works. And that text there says that we are created unto good works, which means that we are not just, it's not just a, a not just a resolution that we have made, but it is a result of a new life, a new transition, a new heart, something new that's taken place in our lives. And that's why this gospel brings instruction and teaching into us. It's changing us and giving us new information and new direction and new insight. And so he says, he that uh, for everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth, now there it is, with this truth has to do with instruction and information. He who practices the truth, who practices the instruction, who practices the things that God gives us in this word, who practices the truth, comes to the light so that his, here again, the word works, so that his works will be, the idea of manifest means to be made clear, comes to the light, so that his deeds, his works will be manifested that they have been wrought in God. So we have the light here, the light that is mentioned, and the life that is mentioned here is a life that is running, either running to the light because of his, his life has been instructed by God's word and he's, he's embracing, embracing the truth of God's word, or he's running from the light. Uh, because of his deeds, his deeds are, his works are evil, and they are perverted, and so on and so forth. Um, in the book of James, James writes, the one who looks intently, he's talking about the law of God, he calls it the, the law, the perfect law, the mirror, mirror of God's word, and it says, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but effectual doer, this man will be blessed 
in all he does. And so it's God's word, which is like a mirror, and it instructs us, it helps us to gain the instruction that our lives can, can be manifesting the truth so that we run to the light. Do you understand that? And that we embrace the light, and that the light exposes the things in our lives that are, are needs to be exposed. And so in our text that we're looking at here, it says that this, this uh, grace that God has given to us, that has come to abide in us, let me get the text, it says, uh, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and that appearance of God's grace and God's salvation is instructing us and changing us, and it's instructing us to do some things, and we're going to look at that, but I'm not going to look at it this time, I'm going to look at it ne next time, but here it is, it's talking about instructing us. Um, Paul writes the church in Corinth, I think this is very, very instructive. It's a very important verse because sometimes we fail to realize that our relationship with the Lord is not simply dependent upon us. We, we preach to people, we try to relate to people, and we pray that, that people will respond, but actually we should be praying that God will open the hearts because it is, it is not man's ability to respond unless the Lord opens their heart. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, who knows the person, person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? And that makes sense. We understand that. Uh, you don't know what your dog was thinking. I don't know what my cats were thinking. The only way you know is what a person is thinking is because you have a, a, a personal spirit, a person like a spirit like a person. So you can relate that way. And that's kind of what he's saying here. Um, also, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And now we have not we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us through God. So God's spirit comes into us and works in our hearts, works in our lives. It helps to clarify some of the things that belong to God, some of the things that relate to the Lord, that they are foolish as otherwise, but he comes in to do that so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and and we we impart we impart this in words. Paul says, not by words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And this is important because there are a lot of things that don't make sense to us when we start looking at the Christian life and why we would do certain things and other things, except that we have an understanding that. That the purpose and the direction that God has given to us is that which gives us real hope, and real life, and real purpose, not just not just living for the the moment, the pleasure, which is what I did for years and years and years, and it was not productive. And it's just it's important to see that. So He teaches these things, uh, these interpreting spiritual truths of those that are spiritual. The natural person, the person who does not know the Lord, does not have the Spirit of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And that's the story of my life, and it's the story of your life, too, until came, Christ came and opened your heart. You don't accept it. It's, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. It's not something that you uh, embrace until the Lord begins to open your heart, um, accept the things of the Spirit, for those, they are foolishness to him, and he does not, he's not able to understand them because these things are things that are spiritually discerned. 
And then in that text, if you jump down to verse 16, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the understanding of Christ. We have his mind because we have his spirit and he interprets God's word to us. We looked at Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, about grace you've been saved. But Ephesians, verse 1 of chapter 2, starts out this way. He said, you who were dead in your transgressions and sins. So that Paul is writing now to the church at Ephesus, and he's reminding them that all of us in our former state were dead in our response to God and to Christ. And we had no ability to really grasp these things. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4. But God, aren't you glad? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. This is the work of God in the life to change us from what we were to what he wants us to be. And that comes to a large degree by his influence, his instruction in our lives. Uh, it's very, very important. Um, He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, this is one of my favorite thoughts in verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace, which is his riches and give God's riches at Christ's expense, his grace, his salvation, his goodness to us. He might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. There is the verse again we looked at a moment ago, so that no so that no one can boast, but we are his workmanship created. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in him. And so we we are those who walk in Christ. We are those who seek to follow him. That's we looked at the, the passage the other day about First John, uh, I think it was chapter 2, where it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Honestly, when we look at the verse, it sounds like God doesn't want us to have fun, doesn't want us to, to enjoy life. But the fact is that he knows what's, what really matters, and we want to take the wisdom that he offers, and we'll listen to that, and let his wisdom permeate our lives, and let his wisdom give direction to us so that we can understand these things, because he's going to be telling us what this instruction does and how it affects our lives. Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, to a writer to Timothy, he says, you need to avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people to, into more and more ungodliness. Avoid these things, Timothy. Their talk will spread like gangrene among them, Arminius and Phileas, who have served with the who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has always already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But 
God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. God knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ then depart from evil. So the instruction, the direction is for those of us who know him is that we are to turn from sin, turn from depravity, turn from these things, and uh, let God's word instruct us and direct us to follow him, to please him, to serve him. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which is one of the first verses that I memorized, thanks to the navigators. And that is that if any man, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, I think the New American Standard translates, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What it's just saying is that we are new creatures if we know the Lord in Christ. The instruction, the truth that we're talking about has been obeyed in our lives. It's producing life in our lives that we can come. Now, from that point that we looked at, the instruction, there is going to be a negative side. That is, his, his uh, ungodliness um, is going to produce kind of a, a negative result, if you will, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And there's going to be a positive side, and that is to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I'm not going to look at it today. I'm not ready for that. But just to be thinking about this, your purpose for living your direction and goal for life. I think it's really important to think about that. Sometimes we don't like to think about that. Sometimes I just was wanting to, to have as much fun as I could and live for myself. And there, I guess there are a lot of people that are doing that and they're finding that as they get older that that pursuit becomes more and more enslaving and they become less able to break away from that. Now, that's compounded with the fact that they're not able to break away from it anyway until the Spirit of God works in their heart. But you have that, plus you have the continual compounding of the hardness of the heart, the continual enslavement, those who practice sin become the slaves of sin. Um, we're in pretty serious trouble. So when we, when we, what I counsel you is, and that's what I told my friend who I think I was talking about, who was interested in Rotenberg and wanted to go and he has plenty of money and he's, he can, go and do what he wants to do. I was telling him that, that uh, it's not easy to break away from that, but it's easier now if you take your Bible and read your Bible. I gave him a Bible. I gave him a Bible study Bible. And uh, so he has the access uh, if you'll do it. But as Jesus told the rich young ruler uh, when he, when he uh, told him to sell all he has, give it to the poor and come and follow me, uh, the, the, he wouldn't do it. And Jesus said it's impossible for those who have money to come to me and to follow me. What he's saying is really impossible for anybody to do it. But what he's saying is when you have wealth, you really can see no reason for coming because you have nothing else you need. You have everything you can provide, provide pretty much what you need. And that, that there's nothing else that you really need. People that don't have wealth, the poor, can see themselves as somewhat destitute. And there is something that may draw them more to at least thinking about, which is a good thing. But uh, so anyway, this young man, um, I just pray for him because it's he's a good good kid. He's an attractive kid. He's got got his whole life in front of him, um, but he really needs the Lord, and so just God bless him. Cares for him, so it's very important. Let me close with you in prayer, dear Father. Thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for the word, which I guess we've just kind of studied one word today about the instructing, but I think it's important to see that. Um, the Christian life does give us information. When we come to follow you, there is 
there is instruction, there is teaching, there is discipling, there is a process that takes place that begins to make us more like the Savior and less like our own selves. As Paul says, you were dead, God is made alive. And so I pray that you'll do that work in my heart uh, because it is true that there are many distractions in my life and many and some of them are very attractive distractions and i guess all distractions are attractive in a way but i pray that you help us to focus clearly on the real important issues that matter to life and pursue those things with all of our heart uh, knowing that we can't really change ourselves only you can do that but we can put ourselves in an environment where your word can speak to us and it can influence us. Help us to do that. And I pray that you will be honored and glorified in our lives as a result of that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.